super glad to be here. Um, there are a lot of faces that I don't recognize and a lot of faces I do recognize. Um, so for those of you I don't know, my name is Matt, um, which I think still ranks as the number one name in the church, um, as far as like the amount of people named Matt. Uh, and um, my wife and I uh, were a part of River's Edge at the very beginning of the church's story. So uh, we, for those of you, you probably have heard this story like 150 times, but I'll tell you anyways. Uh, the church started uh, in a living room um, in our apartment in West Central. So we used to live on College Avenue and the church met once a month. We just did prayer gatherings at first and then we shifted to meeting in a park on Sunday mornings, and thus we started doing weekly gatherings, and then we were in another church's basement for a while, and then um, we rented from Seventh-day Adventist Church for a while, and then in 2015, uh, my wife and I uh, moved to the country of Ecuador. No, we moved here in 2015. In 2019, we moved to Ecuador. Um, so we uh, lived there for two years, and then from uh, that from Ecuador, we moved back to the States, and now we live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So grace and peace to you from Albuquerque this morning. Um, the last time I was here, I was here last year, like early June, and there was no air conditioning in this room, so this is very pleasant to have uh, AC in here. Um, what we're going to do this morning uh, is just continue in the series, the Practicing the Way. Do you want me to hold the microphone higher or lower? Higher. higher. Okay. Um, we're going to continue the Practicing the Way series, and I promise I didn't pick the subject for today because it's going to be kind of ironic. Um, we're talking about a practice today that uh, I, quite frankly, don't enjoy doing. Um, it's not something I do very regularly, and um, it's, I think it's actually pretty hard to understand. And it's really ironic because today is the first like church potluck, and we're talking about fasting. So. I didn't pick it, and then I didn't schedule it, um, but I asked, I think I at one point asked Matt Deason, well, what do you want me to teach on? Um, just pick something you don't want to want to do when you come back, and he said, do fasting. So here we are, fasting. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6, and we will read from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, I made slides for it, and Raven was... Uh, nice enough to like readjust all of the fonts because I made them too small. Um, so we'll read um, from Matthew 6, um, verses 16 to 18. And I'm going to make you stand up as we read this morning. So go ahead and stand up as we read God's word together. If you're able. Jesus says, When you fast, do not, fa do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and take a seat. Thanks, Jenny. So, uh, as I said, we're going to talk about fasting this morning, um, but to start with, I want to talk about one uh, thing that fasting is not, or the, the type of fasting that we're not talking about. So, some of you know that Matt Deason and I just uh, got done doing this crazy um, bike trip that was Matt's idea, and um, 
Fasting is not what happened on that trip, which was me not packing enough food to compensate for the amount of calories we were burning by riding 40 to 80 miles a day through the wilderness in New Mexico. So I have some pictures to share, uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so this is Matt snacking. Uh, and literally every time we stopped, Matt was like, oh, I need to have a snack. And I just didn't pack that food. I just was unprepared. I didn't think that I was going to need that much. Um, so this is us. We, there's a lot of cattle in New Mexico, which I didn't know that prior to riding through the entire state. So we rode from uh, the Mexican border all the way to Colorado. Uh, we did have to take uh, like a 50-mile gap um, because of how unprepared we were. But uh, this, yeah, this was just in the middle of the Gila National Forest. And then the next slide was one of our uh, camping nights. This was when we not, kind of mistakenly and kind of just with bad planning, um, camped in the middle of, um, it was a bull pasture, like it was only bulls. And so uh, we got woken up at like five o'clock in the morning by this bull trying to figure out what the tent was. And it was, I mean, it wasn't physically right next to us, but it was loud and like, I don't know, the bull, I, I would make the sound, but it will probably like, I don't know, I'll blow the speakers out. But the, it was just this like terrible way to wake up in the morning. Um, and then the other one, the next picture, um, was just one of our mini, like, what are we doing uh, sort of moments. And that's not the kind of fasting that we're talking about. We're talking about fasting as something that is planned, it's intentional, it's prepared for, um, abstaining from food for a period of time. So if we go back to this passage in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, uh, he says, when you fast. It's the assumption is that you will fast, and he describes how to do it. And if we, if we look at where Jesus talks about fasting within the Sermon on the Mount, um, there's, there's other themes that Jesus talks about. You know this, you've gone through the Sermon on the Mount before. But it's sandwiched between a discussion on prayer and a discussion on treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. And I'm going to venture to guess that um, you're like me. And that if we think about these different themes uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we have a pretty good understanding of these other themes. Like, there's been lots of teachings or lots of books that you've been exposed to that talk about prayer. I mean, it's expected in a non-denominational Bible-teaching church, it's expected that you're going to pray. And it's expected, probably, at least for the thing that sandwiched is fasting, treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth, it's, it's expected that you'd have a general understanding of what that means. But the emphasis or the sort of awareness of fasting, I think generally, is just, it's just not as, as much of a central focus within our church tradition. Uh, we, we could go years or decades even without fasting. And, and a lot of people just wouldn't think much about it. Sure, it's there, but it's just never been really a central focus for our church tradition. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you fasted before. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a regular practice for you, but it's not for me. Uh, it's not something that I super commonly engage in. Uh, maybe you've heard about fasting before. Maybe you've never done it before. And so the goal this morning uh, is to talk about why followers of Jesus fast, uh, what happens when we fast, and then talk about some practical um, ideas for how to actually put this into practice. So why does anyone actually fast? I'm going to suggest to you that the, the purpose of fasting is to realize our hunger for God 
and to deny ourselves the other things we usually use to comfort ourselves. To realize our hunger for God and deny ourselves the other things we usually use to comfort ourselves. And what I mean by that, that hopefully I'll be able to tease out, is that fasting exposes us to what has control over us. Um, fasting acknowledges that we're a whole being. It exposes what comforts us. It's an exercise in self-control, and it's an aid for our prayers. Uh, it's important to consider as we think about this practice, like, like it is for each of the practices, it's important to consider the first part of this definition. Um, it's crucial for me, and it's crucial, I think, for each of us to remember uh, that with each of these practices, with worship or Sabbath or Bible reading or prayer, that the point of it all is to grow in our love of God and love of neighbor. That's the point of it all. Uh, one of my historic spiritual mentors, John Wesley, 200 years ago, said it this way, and I think it's really helpful. Some well-meaning persons have seemed to equate Christianity with the saying of prayers and receiving the Lord's Supper and listening to sermons and in reading books on holiness, neglecting at the same time the end purpose of all these things, which is the love of God and their neighbor. So when you fast, remember that it's not just going through the motions of what it means to follow Jesus. The, the point of it all is to grow in our love of God and become more like him. If we look through the scriptures at why people fasted, um, which we're going to do here, we're just going to really briefly glance over the entirety of the Bible and what it says about fasting. And when we do that, I think we, we discover really three themes. So first, fasting is done to express lament and mourning. So in both these passages, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, what happens, uh, if you're familiar with the story, is Saul and his sons die in battle. And in the end of 1 Samuel, it's the men of Jabesh-Gilead who, in response to hearing this bad news, they fast. At the beginning of 2 Samuel, in response to hearing the same news, David and his men fast. So that's one of the themes that we see. It's a way to express lament and mourning. Another theme is that fasting is associated with repentance and confession. So in 1 Samuel, the Israelites fast as a way to express their repentance, uh, turning away from the other gods they've been worshiping. In Nehemiah, it's the same thing. And in Jonah, the story of Jonah, Jonah goes, well, he doesn't go, and then he ends up going to Nineveh, uh, preaches a message of repentance to the Ninevites, and what do they do? They fast in response to the message in confession and repentance. So that's the second theme. The third theme, which is, uh, seems to extend into the New Testament, is that fasting is done when seeking God's intervention. Now, you don't have to squint, and I'm not going to read all these to you, but in Judges and Second Chronicles and Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, in each of these instances, the people of God, they're seeking God's intervention, and the way that they do that in partnering with prayer is they fast. And that theme then continues into the New Testament, it seems like. So the two descriptive passages in the New Testament, after the Holy Spirit is given to the church, the church in Antioch, there's two examples in the book of Acts about fasting. One's in Acts 13, one's in Acts 14. So the church fasts before sending out missionaries, and it's associated with how they are praying and hearing from God and sending out missionaries. 
And then um, they do it in connection with the appointment of elders as they're discerning the appointment of elders. Now, I really wish that we had more passages to go on that would really tease out the details of this. Uh, I really, I think the way that my brain works, I wish there was like a clear explanation of the mechanics of this. And somehow, how does abstaining from food, how does that sort of work out with, if I do this and abstain from food, this happens and God does X, Y, or Z. I wish there was like a clear explanation of that. Um, that would make fasting, for me, uh, I would be more likely to do it if I had this sort of like promise that if I do this, I will essentially twist God's arm enough to respond to my prayers in this way. If I put in this effort, then, then I'll get this response. Thankfully, though, that's not how God works. That's not how our world works. That's not how we function either. You and I are, we're mysteriously uh, holistic beings. We're, we're body and spirit. You don't have a body. You are a body. Um, you don't have spirits or souls. This is a part of who you are. And I can't fully explain why it is that fasting might be an appropriate response to like tragic news, like it was in First and Second Samuel, but sometimes it is. Like if, if you can think of an example, maybe for you, but maybe for someone else, like if you hear about a tragedy, you, the, the natural visceral response for some of us is just, I don't feel like eating right now. And I think that's, that's connected with this. And for repentance and confession, maybe you might be so moved to the core with the need to confess and repent that the right response might be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold from myself the normal day-to-day -day pleasures of eating to focus on something else. And when we seek God's intervention, um, there is somehow something going on in fasting that aids in our prayers. Now, you might think, like me, that, that it sounds kind of weirdly superstitious, right? Like, how does this function? And all I can say that this is the model that we have in Scripture. This is, this is what Moses does, and Joshua does, and Samuel does, and David does, and Jehoshaphat does, and Ezra does, and Nehemiah does, and the prophets do. And I have to ask myself, were they, were they just being superstitious, or did they know something that I don't? And you might say, well, that was before the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, but the apostles, the very men who lived with and learned from the Son of God, they continued on in the practice of fasting along with their prayers. So how does fasting work? Well, I have some ideas on it, but what I want to point out is that it's not necessarily something that I think we can logically wrap our heads around. And I think that's part of the gift of fasting. I think that you're like me, uh, and I'm going to share a quote that I think explains this way better than I could, but we want to logically understand each of these things. And fasting is a practice that just doesn't always make sense logically. So John Mark Comer uh, explains it really well in his words on fasting. He says, as powerful as the mind is, because we are holistic beings, we can't simply think our way into spiritual maturity. Our discipleship to Jesus must take seriously our body as it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
a home where we make room for God to dwell. Most of us are used to approaching our spiritual formation and life with God through the door of our mind by thinking, talking, praying, reading, or hearing teaching and preaching. But very few of us are comfortable approaching our spiritual formation through our stomach or our body as a whole. Fasting is one of the best disciplines we have to reintegrate our mind to our body and offer our whole selves to God in surrender. So with that thought in mind, I want to talk about three things that we can expect when we fast. And that first thing is that we can expect to reintegrate our bodies and our minds in our spiritual formation. So fasting is a way that we offer our whole selves to God. Uh, in Romans 12, Paul talks about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And I think fasting is, is one of the ways that we can do that. But because fasting is this different kind of practice that's not spiritual formation just through our minds, I think we can expect some, some unique kind of pushback and unique kind of difficulty with it. Richard Foster, who's an author, and he wrote this little book called Celebration of Discipline. It's a really popular book um, in talking about the traditional spiritual disciplines, so like Bible reading and service and confession. He says this about fasting. More than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. When I said at the beginning that the purpose of fasting is to realize our hunger for God and deny ourselves the other things we usually use to comfort ourselves, what I'm talking about is the reality that, that we experience, you and I experience, all sorts of pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain. And we often try and find comforts for that pain. So I'm going to take a, a break from talking about fasting to describe this more fully. So I know enough to know that I don't know the pain that, that you are going through right now. Um, I'm a teacher. I teach first and second grade. I live a relatively like normal life in going to work and coming home, and then I get to take eight weeks off during the summer, which it's wonderful. But in the course of that life, uh, I interact with my parents. I interact with coworkers. I interact with doctors. I interact with the, the same sorts of people that you do. So I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that just like I experience difficulties and pains, you do too. So that text message that rocked you or the comment from the spouse that really got under your skin or the email you received this week or the worry that you have about your kids and fill in the blank. Each of those in, in some way, shape, or form cause you pain. They cause us pain. And part of our our discipleship to Jesus is to ask the question of what do we do with those pains? When you feel lonely, what do you do with that? How do you comfort yourself when you feel lonely? And maybe you're like me, and, and the answer to your loneliness sometimes is to escape into YouTube and Instagram. It's just to, I'm going to avoid that feeling altogether, and I'm going to escape. When you feel inadequate, like you don't measure up, when you feel like no one wants you, what do you do with that? Maybe you play a game because you'll feel successful in playing that game. 
That's how you comfort yourself during that feeling. What do you do when you feel like you can't control anything? Nothing in your life, in your family's life, when you can't control it, what do you do to comfort yourself with that pain and make yourself feel more in control? We use food in the same way, sometimes. At least I do. The reality is that uh, for me, I'm an emotional eater. So what that means, and my family, many members of my family deal with the same disposition. So if I'm stressed out, one of the things that I do to comfort myself during that stress is I eat. They're usually like salty fried things for me. It brings me the sense of like tangible comfort. Like the hormones in my brain go off of like, ah, oh, this feels good and I can not have to think about whatever it is that's stressing me out. Or this happens fairly regularly. When I get home from school and I just have had this day where the first and second graders will not listen to me, I get home and I go to my cabinet and I pull out a bag of chips and I will just stand there and I'll just eat the chips. Now, that's not like necessarily this awful thing, but if I think about it and run it through the lens of, of what we're talking about this morning, what I'm doing is I'm comforting myself with food. And so, without any reservations, I can say that for me, I sometimes use food as a means of comforting myself. Uh, especially in a world where I have the means and the availability, I can just go to the store or I can open an app and food will be delivered to me. And, and it may sound silly, but this is actually why living in Ecuador was so hard for me. It's gonna sound ridiculous, but in foreign countries, they don't have the same snacks that we do. Like America is a snacking culture. Like there's like six rows at the grocery store for snacks. In Ecuador, there's like half of a half of a row with snacks. And so my normal means of coping with some of the stresses in the world, which was like to go home and eat chips, they just don't have the same chips. And that was this involuntary removal of a comfort for me that made living abroad way harder than it should have been. Overeating in our American culture is generally not seen as a, a spiritual problem. Most of us do it often. And there's very little consideration of, for me at least, there's very little consideration of whether or not what I'm doing has any sort of relationship in my eating, has any sort of relationship to my discipleship and how I'm being formed into Christ-likeness. And instead of turning to my Father in heaven who knows what I need to be comforted, I turn to something that feels, at least in the moment, in the short term, a little bit more tangible, and that's what I turn to. There's a group called E5 Men. It stands for Ephesians 5. They, um, they advocate for monthly fasting, and they provide cohorts to do it with, and there's a, there's a female version of this too. Um, but they say it this way, and I find it very helpful very pointed. They say, when you fast, you are ridding yourself of the joys of the flesh for a day, and it reveals the emptiness in your heart that wants to be filled. Instead of filling it with food, fill it with Christ's love. However, 
If you're not in the habit of praying often, it could be a very painful mental and emotional experience to, to fast. You may only feel the emptiness and suffering which used to be filled with the simple joys of food. The ex experience certainly gives new meaning to the phrase comfort food. Fasting is a challenge to make God your comfort, but, but if you do not have a developed prayer life, you will certainly notice the emptiness when you are fasting. So this brings us to the third thing to expect when you're fasting, which is to expect to replace your eating with prayer. And I think this is really where the substance of the practice lies. Jesus, when he's fasting in the desert, he's tempted by Satan to break that fast, and Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting actually puts that into practice. It's, it's like a statement of faith lived out. You don't actually live on the things that you think keep you alive. You live on the things that God gives you. And so in prayer, we come to God, we thank him for the things that he has given, and we ask him for the needs that we have for ourselves and for others. And we receive from him in prayer. So with that, we're going to shift and talk about five practical ways to put the practice into practice. So number one, when you fast, let it be done to the Lord. So that is an important perspective to enter into fasting. Uh, dedicate yourself, the action, and the time freed up to God and see what he might do with it. You are a holistic being, like I said. It is okay to acknowledge there are physical benefits of fasting. There are. There's a ton of them. There's there's ton of physical benefits. There's mental benefits. There's like emotional benefits as well. And those are good things to acknowledge because God has given us this practice, not just as something that, oh, by the way, on the side has these other benefits, but it's a good thing for us as holistic beings. But when you set out on fasting, I know I've done this, of like, oh, well, you know, the church called for a fast. Like, m maybe that will be like more healthy for me. And I, I entered into it, I have done this, when uh, it, my perspective wasn't, I entered into it the wrong way. So this is why this is number one. Number two, acknowledging the power of fasting to aid us in prayer, remember that you're not earning some privilege or favor or reward from God through the outward act. Okay, so here's what I mean. Jesus says in that Matthew 6 passage, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So yes, we can expect a benefit from fasting. But when we fast, we're joining in with the action of millions of God's people across time and space who have fasted. And we can expect a benefit from joining in with that practice but I know my tendency sometimes towards any of these practices is a sort of like self-righteousness that says, well, I've done this and I've thus earned something from God. And that's misguided. Number three, when you fast, use the time that you freed up to pray. So if you've never fasted before or if you have, what you realize when you're not eating is how much time is dedicated to eating. You have to plan out a meal. You have to shop for the food for the meal. You have to prepare the meal. 
You have to eat the meal. You have to clean up from eating the meal. And then if you're like me, you start thinking about the next meal. A lot of time is dedicated to eating. When you don't eat, you free up a lot of time. And so when you fast, use this time that you're intentionally not eating to pray. Listen for God to speak to you. Use the time to discern and meditate on God's word. Number four, the other thing that you should do with your time when you fast is use that time and the resources that you've freed up to consider how you stand with the vulnerable. So here's what I mean. Historically speaking, when Christians have fasted, so if you look at the history of the church, uh, it used to be a very common practice. There was, there's even documents from uh, like the early couple centuries of the church where the Christians had to be told, like, stop fasting so much. Don't do it so much. It used to be really common for followers of Jesus to fast on Wednesdays and on Fridays. So why Wednesday and Friday? Well, if you think about Holy Week, Wednesday is the day that Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and Friday is the day that Jesus died. It's these days of historically lament. So that's why Wednesdays and Fridays. And what Christians would do is they would take the resources, the money that they freed up by not paying for food, and the time that they freed up to serve the poor or give to the poor. And I, and I wish I had more time to get into this theme today. We could probably spend a whole Sunday on it, um, but I won't. But there, I'll recommend to you a really good resource. So the Practicing the Way podcast, you heard me quote John Mark Comer earlier. Him and a group of people have this basic like roundtable discussion, and there's a set of resources for community groups, um, for missional communities, uh, for you to work through fasting together. And they have a podcast, and each podcast is like an hour and a half long, and there's five of them. So if you go for like a long run or you like have a long commute or something, you can listen to it in chunks. And there's two episodes in there that I think are really helpful. One of them is on the theme of how fasting can help us to stand with the poor and the vulnerable and how that works out. The other one that I find, um, found really interesting, um, there's an interview with a doctor, and she talks about and they explore in it the intersection between fasting and eating disorders. Like, how should you engage? If you, if you struggle with an eating disorder, how should you engage with the practice of fasting? Because that could be potentially difficult or, or at least have some landmines in it. So I will recommend that, that podcast to you that explores this theme even more. But what I want to do with you this morning, um, if you have your Bible still, go ahead and uh, turn to Isaiah 58, which is this classic... Uh, critique on fasting uh, that God gives to the nation of Israel. So in Isaiah 58, and it'll be on the screens too, uh, the nation of Israel, they're fasting. They're doing it. They're putting the practice into practice. And they're asking for God's intervention. They're asking for God's healing. But God responds by saying this in verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. So they're fasting, but they're neglecting other things. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, 
to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So at least going back as far as Isaiah 58, fasting has been connected with this idea of how God's people serve and engage with the vulnerable. Fasting cannot be a purely private and internal practice, but it should be a practice that drives us out to be salt and light in the world. Number five, and my last point, try out a fast in community and start small. So if you've never fasted before, uh, the point of everything today has been to try and like exhort and encourage you to just try it out. And I'm going to suggest don't try and start with like a 40-day fast, if, if that's even possible. Don't try to go big at first. Just try like 24 hours or a sun-up to sun-down fast. Uh, like I mentioned, fasting is not a regular practice for me. The very first time I ever fasted was a part of a church-wide thing. So church in Portland, we did a week long of, of prayer and fasting. I was like, that sounds great. It sounds super spiritual. I'm going to do it. And the, the gift of doing it as a whole church or the gift of doing it in community was that we met morning, noon, and night for prayer. So in the times that you would normally be eating, we met together and prayed. And so instead of just sitting at home thinking about how hungry I was and just complaining to myself about how crummy it was, we got to get together and pray and then share amongst each other how crummy the experience was of being hungry. And so I think in community is way easier than doing it on your own. What I will not recommend is what I did that very first time, which was to break my fast with Taco Bell. So your brain, when you're fasting, starts to think of like, what's the most calorically dense thing I can possibly eat? And my brain went to chalupas. And so I used six days of not eating, and we had the last prayer meeting. And then I was like, ah, oh, it sounds so good. It did not feel good. So don't break it with Taco Bell. If you've never fasted before, take like a small meal uh, after you've fasted. I think that's the best way to do it. And so I did that a couple times with the church in Portland. Um, there was a period in my life where I went like two years without even thinking about fasting. Or maybe I thought about it like, that'd be a good thing to do, but I didn't do it. And... When my wife and I moved to Albuquerque, one of the things that we started to do, especially as we were trying to discern, like, what should we do with our lives, uh, was we instituted this Friday fast. So from sunrise to sunset on Fridays, we just drank water. We did not eat from that period of time. And we dedicated the time that we would have been eating to praying. And then um, after my wife Jenna got pregnant, which my wife's 35 weeks pregnant. Woo! Yeah, for those of you who know us, that... That was a big surprise, um, and we are super excited. Uh, but once she got pregnant, we, uh, we weren't doing that anymore. And I told Jenna, my wife, oh, yeah, Matt Deason wants me to teach on fasting in the Practicing the Way series. And she looked at me, and she's like, well, shouldn't you probably fast then? <laughs> mm -hmm, that's a good idea. Don't be a huge hypocrite when you stand up. So, um, so that's is really good for pointing those things out. So that's what I did. Uh, I took five days, and, and in preparation for this, as I was studying for this, uh, that's what I did. I, I fasted for five days. And uh, what, I had another set of things. Like, I, I set out a list of intentions that, like, on Monday, I'm going to pray for these things. On Tuesday, I'm going to pray for these things. 
and then took the money from those five days and gave it to a ministry in our area that um, works with immigrants and refugees in, in Juarez. And was it this experience that like the heavens opened up and the glory of the Lord shined? No, that's not, that's not what I experienced. Uh, there were some answers to prayers. There was some like special things that happened that I expected. But then one thing that happened that was unexpected, which goes back to this idea of us as like holistic beings. And I, it's really hard for me to explain, but on the deepest possible level, I came to understand God's love and care for me. Like I tried to explain it to Jenna as like I felt it in my bones, God's love for me. And it's not something I can entirely wrap my head around or explain, but that was the main outcome of that experience of fasting. And so today, as we end, um, that's what I want the invitation to you to be, is to just try it out. Try it out in community and start small and see what God might do with it. Let's pray.